Oh, yeah. Because I have a very good brain. Children do learn. This is a house of learned doctors. I took a speed reading course, and not to brag, but my speed shot up to 43 pages a minute. <laughs> but my comprehension plummeted. Very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm pissed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am royally pissed. I'm not going to have Pepsi with baby flavoring in it. I mean, what the hell have we become? Excuse me. Hello. Hey. Randy. Mr. Lee. Randy. But Miss Wiggins. Randy. Randy. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. Come on. Episode 38 of The Reading Rain Bros. Dang. Just keep going. We just keep going. Can't stop us. Unstoppable. I am your host, Jonathan Slade, but I could not do it without my conciliary Babo. What up? I'm going to let Babo take over the reins because it was his choice. And uh, I will just say that I was um, pleasantly surprised, better than I thought it was going to be. Have a lot of things that I took from it. And I think a lot of things going forward and a really good book for uh, the general audience and then for professionals as well. So go ahead, Babo. Yeah. So today we will be reviewing No Rules Netflix and the culture of reinvention by Netflix CEO Reed Hastings and uh, Aaron Meyer, who uh, Aaron Meyer wrote some book, The Culture Map, mm-hmm. um, which uh, kind of inspired uh, Mr. Hastings to connect with her. Uh, so they kind of wrote this in tandem and uh, just really laid out pretty comprehensively what uh, makes Netflix the successful company that it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it really doesn't, uh, have a lot of the same, uh, corporate hierarchy and structure and rules and regulations that govern your, your large multinational corporations. Um, so they, they really kind of go through, uh, you know, what makes Netflix different from, uh, all your other kind of major corporations. And I, I think some, some companies are starting to adopt some of these strategies and I think some, you know, some, some of these work for some companies, a lot of them probably won't. Um, but, but really it's a, it was a really great case study, uh, for a company doing things differently and empowering its, uh, its employees to, uh, be innovative and, uh, really kind of push the boundaries. Uh, so, you know, Netflix really, uh, you know, they, they kind of go through, uh, some, some steps in how they, uh, create the culture at Netflix. So, um, you know, primarily that you have to build up your talent density. So you have to hire the best talent and retain that talent. And to keep that talent, you have to pay top of market. So, you know, in the, in the tech industry in particular, uh, throughout Silicon Valley, there's a lot of competition for your creative employees, for your tech employees. So you really have to go above and beyond to to pay them uh, properly and continue paying them well. Um, and they talk about how uh, they have a culture of candor uh, throughout the company where um, employees, uh, you know, regardless of, of, of rank or hierarchy, uh, provide, um, you know, constructive feedback to people and, uh, you know, uh, a, a really 
just kind of a, a, a circular feedback uh, loop, if you will, um, which really kind of helps employees constantly improve and, and better themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting thing is the, the lack of rules at Netflix. So they don't have a vacation policy. Um, so they, they make sure that managers have uh, provide uh, proper context, um, which kind of creates, you know, it really creates this, co- what they call a freedom and responsibility. So allowing, you know, really just trusting your employees to, to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to do that, you have to really make sure you hire the right employees and then fire the ones that, that are not performing or that are, um, not adhering to, uh, the, the culture that they have at Netflix. So they, they got rid of vacation policies, but that doesn't mean you could just take off whenever you really, I mean, you just don't have to check or keep track of things. Right. You just kind of trust your employees to, uh, you know, put themselves first and do whatever they need to do, uh, to contribute to the company, uh, the most. Um, they also remove travel and expense, uh, approvals. So they really kind of trust their, their workers to, uh, make, you know, really, uh, significant financial decisions. Right. Um, and you know, a lot of companies you need approvals from like a dozen different people across all different, you know, sectors of the, of the company, but here they really kind of empower their employees to make the right decisions. Um, and, and which is really, Let really me jump in here real quick. Yeah. You, there's something, and I, I'm sure you'll remember it better than I will. There's a, like reminder, they say like before you do something, there's like a, a phrase to have like treat it as if Netflix was your own company or something like that. Oh, oh make a decision that's in the do best. Do what's in the best interest of Netflix. Netflix. So like you can, yeah. if you're gonna purchase new software or even bigger, like if you're gonna purchase a film, mm-hmm. it could be millions of dollars, but that's on you. But if it's in the best interest and you're confident in your decision, you get to make it, and I'll, you can keep keep going. But I think that's something that's like. Y- just a director in some department in Brazil can buy, can spend $2 million on a documentary mm-hmm. on, on a whim without approval from the CFO, a CEO. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine trusting someone that much in your big company? Mm-hmm. Cause it could like just bankrupt a whole division. It could be like a flop. It could mm-hmm. press could be terrible. Go ahead, Babo. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with great freedom comes great responsibility. <laughs> so I think a lot of, I mean, it, it really had the reverse kind of uh, result that I was expecting was that when you treat, uh, you know, the company's money like you would your own, I think people are actually a lot caref- more careful with it, even though it's not being, uh, you know, approved or, or really looked at closely from your, your superiors. Um, so it, a really interesting thing is just how transparent the company was. So really kind of opening up the books to employees across the company, um, you know, looking at profit and loss statements, um, really, you know, not having any kind of like closed, like, you know, like it's like the open door policy on steroids, you know, just like anyone can walk up to the CEO and, and, you know, provide some feedback or that sort of thing. But, but yeah, I mean, just really, really allowing your employees to make the right decisions was, you know, it it, it takes it takes some real balls for yeah. sure, but it, it seemed to really work there, for Netflix. There's some proprietary information that, like, one of the new, I think, a C level or VP, there was like an email that went out that was very candid about numbers and growth, and they were like, um, should should normal people in our company be yeah. able to see this information? Like, yeah, absolutely, right. because <laughs> they need to know. And you know, they they did say they had one incident where somebody did. Take that information to it ended up being online somewhere, but mm. it didn't. 
point is it didn't, that was one person that out of like hundreds of thousands of employees that was a bad apple, but you don't then clamp down on transparency because one person treated it terribly. But right. it did, obviously at the time it happened, didn't do anything negative for Netflix because since this book was written or since that incident happened, they've blown up massively. So the trust and candor thing is important. And I'll, I'll make one point on the, one of the things I liked was the, the talent density part. For anyone listening that's an HR or talent acquisition that's in a position to make hiring decisions, <clears throat> instead of hiring, what companies do, for example, if you use the Netflix model, instead of hiring like five salespeople that are going to perform average, hire one exceptional salesperson, pay them double or twice what the market is paying Mm -hmm. to, to like not really buy their loyalty, but show that you care and you know their value. Instead of hiring like five mediocre people, hire just one great person. You have less people to deal with and if you have one great salesperson, they're probably going to work autonomously. They're going to be good at what they do. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to like grow a giant sales force or business development or marketing team if you have one person that can do the work of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pay them accordingly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things about like, I didn't I didn't know about like talent or um, what do they call them? wage pools or like commission like they don't even have commission structures mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's like how are you motivating people to sell more if you're not yeah. like salespeople so that's, that goes against the sales aspect well yeah. yeah no they don't have a instead of like having bonuses tied to performance mm-hmm. they put all that money into salary they right. think that it's more motivating to just pay as as high a salary as you can to attract and retain the the, the best you know talent out there, uh, but yeah, one one important thing that they have is uh, is the keeper test, which is like yeah. if this employee would go somewhere else, would you fight to keep them? And if not, then you know you really don't. They're not an integral part of you know of your organization. So it's really an interesting thing. But then on on the other side of that, looking at it from an employee perspective. You know, if you left, would you know? Think about would your manager fight to keep you? And and being really candid and open about that is is a good way to kind of measure your performance. But yeah, they don't have any kind of what is it? Uh, performance improvement plans? Like they just they're just constantly giving feedback and and just having open dialogues. They, um, you know, they have uh, really uh, kind of. Uh, you know, encourage, uh, like, Oh, I forget what they call it, but just like general feedback uh, sessions, yeah, okay. like off campus mm-hmm. or what have you, like have a dinner with your, with your, your, your team and everything. And, and another, uh, interesting, uh, analogy that they have for Netflix is that they're, they, they don't call themselves a family. So they're not like working. You're not brothers and sisters. You're not a family, you're a team. Mm-hmm. So I think that team analogy is really, really apt because you're, you're all you're all on the same team, but you know you're not you're not family. You're not you know you're not gonna you know forgive some things. You know you're doing everything you can mm-hmm. to to win, to to produce, to to right. be successful, which I think is really important to uh, delineate because I think a lot of companies have that kind of family culture, and and it's not necessarily the most healthy thing uh, in the world. But I think really the 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 real moral of the story is that companies have to adapt. They have to evolve. So, 
uh, you know, Reed Hastings had a, an unsuccessful company, Pure Software, that wasn't <laughs> able to adapt and 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 failed spectacularly yeah. before he started Netflix. And Netflix made the 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 significant pivot from being a DVD by mail delivery service to being the largest you know online streaming platform in the world and being in a, a bunch of different companies and having like a hundred million subscribers around the world and. And they were able to do all this by implementing their culture of, of freedom and responsibility, which is really kind of a, a pioneering uh, way to kind of emphasize innovation and and not just try to be the most efficient, but to try mm. to be the most innovative. And right. but but that really comes with not controlling, but just providing context and trusting your employees to do the right thing. Yeah, and that it's a big trust issue as well. And I think. Bobo mentioned at the beginning is like, okay, so people might read this, like CEOs might read this and go, great read. Like, yeah, it sounds great. It's nice, but we have 10,000 employees now. We're a Fortune 100 company. Like we can't just shift. So I'm wondering if, because he saw it at the very beginning as Netflix was growing, they implemented it at a pivotal point Mm -hmm. to be like, we can still be agile enough to make these changes. Mm -hmm. I wonder if a company like, Apple or a company like Amazon or maybe like an older company, like maybe a big, like like a Chevron, like a big company could take this book and go, all right, we're going to, we're going to stop, um, the expense reports are going away. We're going to stop making them submit uh, travel expenses. Or if you need to buy a new computer screen, you don't have to get nine levels of it approval. And mm-hmm. do you, so Bobo, my question to you is, um, is a little bit of this, fluffy in the sense of like, oh, that's, that's nice. That's ideal. In a perfect world, this would work, um, for larger companies. Can an old established veteran company that's been around for over a hundred years, just take this book and go, we're going to implement this. Yeah. Well, I, I just looked up the total employees for Netflix and they have over 12,000 employees. So they're not like a small company. Um, but I think it's I think it's really difficult for a company that has your kind of your traditional hierarchy yeah. and and rules and procedures and processes in place to pivot to this kind of model. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think it it really kind of depends on the company. Like I you know with your more traditional you know finance um, you know law firms you know the. Uh, professional services companies, like I don't know if it would necessarily uh, translate, but with a company that's doing more uh, kind of creative uh, mm-hmm. and, and maybe like technology kind of companies, it could definitely work where you're really trying to be innovative and kind of push the envelope. Um, it can really work, but I think it's ideally, you know, it would work from starting and implementing this from you know, the very inception of the company, but I think it'll be pretty difficult to kind of, uh, integrate into an existing company in the way they do things. But Mm -hmm. I think there are certainly some lessons to glean from it and possibly some kind of like hybrid model where you can kind of remove some of those, uh, procedures that kind of, uh, bog down innovation, if you will. Um, but I think for a lot of companies, it's just entirely unrealistic. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's, that, that would be the main criticism. And speaking of criticism, like I always read Goodreads. That's like my favorite site to when we, when we select a book, like what are people saying about it? Like I, I do like to get a, an audience, like the, 
see what the audience has said before I read it, and the, mm. even though it might cloud my judgment. So, I mean, some of the criticisms of this book I didn't agree with. Like, it wasn't a, a much of a puff piece that I thought it was going to be because mm. when, for example, like Conscious Capitalism is by John Mackey. He used the former CEO of Whole Foods. That was a freaking puff piece. Like, mm. that was like, we're so great. We're so innovative. We just, we care about humanity. But <laughs> Reed Hastings, at least with Aaron Meyer, was like, we failed. There were some issues. It's not like everything worked out perfectly. It's not like everyone can do this. Um, I have my own failures. At least there's a little bit of humbleness. It's not like we're just normal people doing our thing that created a billion dollar company. Like he is a special person. They're a special company, but there's also like, here's what's, here's where you could fail. Here's the like implementation roadblocks that will happen. And I didn't feel like it was like a sales pitch to work at Netflix. He did say that this this keeper mentality that mm-hmm. both the employee and the employer think about causes stress because you're always thinking like, has my performance made my boss want to keep me? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have like, because you don't have performance reviews, you're not always aware unless you're asking, how am I doing? Would you keep me? And some of the conversations have been, you know, actually the last month, if you told me that you were leaving, I probably wouldn't fight to keep you. Like mm-hmm. you have to have a special group of people to be able to handle that without like quitting, crying, posting online about how terrible your boss is. Like there are this was a realistic glimpse into how a company would do something like this, but the epic failures, epic wins that go along with it. So um, you know, this when CEOs write their own books, just like um Arthur Blank and mm-hmm. um yeah, good company. Good company. Th- that had that was a little bit. I think it was a little bit below this. There was still some like Home Depot's great. I'm great, but there were still some hardships in there. So I always get a little bit hesitant when CEOs write their own books because it's obviously going to be jaded in a way. Didn't feel like it was um, a fluff piece or a puff piece at all. Do you? What well, yeah, do you think, I think about it, it? I think it helps to have another author. Like, right. it, and they yeah. really in the you know throughout the book they had the picture of Reed or the picture of Aaron to kind of show who's, who's actually speaking. So to have that kind of outside voice, uh, you know, she, Aaron spent a lot of time interviewing, you know, a bunch of Netflix employees to kind of get the lay of the land and, and see how the Netflix machine actually operates. Um, but, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was really kind of open and, and candid, just kind of like the culture at Netflix. And, and they were really kind of open and transparent about their, their failures, their successes, you know, what worked, what didn't, what could have been better. And, but yeah, it def- definitely didn't, didn't puff up the, <laughs> them, themselves too much. Um, but, but yeah, what, um, let me see. Do you have any, do you have any kind of critiques on, on the book or do you think it was too kind of like, unrealistic like yeah of course you want to hire the best talent of course you want to like pay people the most like but i i mean do, do you think this is this this is kind of like a realistic way to to imp- to implement like if you were starting a company today would you go the netflix way would you go the more traditional mm. route would you do more of a hybrid or what what do you think that's a great question i'm glad you asked it because i would not implement the 360 feedback candid thing right away. I just don't think like even for the most um like 
humble person. I still feel like some of the feedback sessions they talked about where you're having dinner and you're literally just everyone's blasting you for your bad. Yeah. For your and, and like you have to have someone that's really in control. If the conversation goes too critical, you have to reel them in. And they talked about how sometimes the person that's um, officiating doesn't reel that in and people end up quitting or people end up like having this grudge. Like, I can't believe you said that about me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't implement that part, but the talent density part, heck yes. Mm-hmm. Um, get one really good person, pay them, like overpay them because they will pay you back in productivity and innovation. Mm-hmm. And then I would get rid of the the vacation policy. Like if you have a company that people want to work for, they're excited when they wake up in the morning to go to work. They're like, why would I want to take a vacation? Uh-huh. Um, even if it's like a, a hard job, but I wouldn't do the, um, that, that radical of transparency unless I knew that people were of the right temperament, that they wouldn't take it too seriously. The whole, the whole issue with this is this whole idea of it's, it's just business. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. So when you're critiquing someone's work, and they take their work seriously, they're going to take it personally. So I don't know if that much radical transparency would work, but 80% of it is great. Um, just whether or not a company that's already old, <laughs> like not a startup could do it is really the crux of like how realistic it is. But um, that being said, also give it a 7.7. I'll give it a 77%. I, I don't think it was like, it didn't blow my mind, but it, it did let me know why people, why they're, called they're part of the fang stocks they're a huge mm-hmm. stock they're a huge company people fall over themselves to work at netflix mm-hmm. um you know working at netflix is might be even cooler than working at google or facebook like mm-hmm. because those are just behemoths right. netflix is cool i connected with people on linkedin there as well and i'm like okay that's a cool place to work so 7.7 what about you babo <clears throat> um yeah i'll give it a 83 okay. percent um i yeah i really I really thought I had a lot of great takeaways, um, especially from a management standpoint, just kind of um, not being overly micromanaging. And I mean, at my company, like you definitely need rules and you definitely need procedures. But in terms of like working with people, I think you need to have like regular, you know, regular check-in meetings, which I do. And like, kind of cover, you know, certain projects and, and, and what can be done better. But I think that I don't like telling, you know, my direct reports, like what exactly they should be doing, how they should be doing it. I just like to provide context and just provide kind of best practices, what I've done in the past, just kind of like for inspiration. I mean, I would love to have some of these policies, you know, at my company, like not having to get, vacation approved by a bunch of people and then checking to make sure that there's coverage and all that kind of stuff and getting, ex- I mean, I, I, I just, I think that, I mean, the expense thing in particular, I find interesting because, you know, I think people, I mean, you, people are going to abuse that at some point, okay. you know, like I, I, if your company's too big, I mean, even Netflix, I mean, they, they randomly audit their expenses and then they fire people that abuse it right, because exactly. that, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that we read this book and I thought it was really even handed and really well written mm-hmm. and, and really kind of encapsulates what makes Netflix, uh, the innovative, uh, and successful company that it is. Yeah. And I, I think we said this a couple episodes ago, but I think this is, we like the business culture 
uh, personality. They're all kind of mixed together. Like what makes yeah. a company run? What is, you know, does it, is it the culture or is it the person? Is it the cult of personality? Like we work where it's mm-hmm. just, it's Adam and he's been in the news lately and all that. So, or is it like you have someone that creates a culture and then that's what they're known for. So that's, I think the bros really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Some housekeeping. Um, this, this last rolling 30 days was all American mm. places, uh, cities. We had Columbus, Ohio is the top city. Then we had Austin, Texas, and then we had a, a Californian uh, Folsom. So maybe it was all the prisoners in Folsom Prison. Mm. I don't know, but what, audience is growing. So um, Spotify. This was the first month where we had uh, we lost the followers. So shame on you, shame on you. Where'd you go? <laughs> I know. Where did you go? <laughs> but we had sixty new unique listeners, new IP addresses. So we were growing in terms of just general audience. And um, so we really appreciate it. It is my turn, Jonathan Slade, to pick episode 39. Yeah. So we're just going to keep trucking. I don't I, mean, I don't see any end in sight here. So um, <laughs> we will be talking to you all in about 30 days. I'll pick a great book for everyone. And uh, I'm John Slade, alongside my consigliere Babo. Talk to you guys next month. Mm-hmm.